Welcome to the Man Up to Cancer podcast. I'm Trevor Maxwell. I'm a stage four colon cancer survivor, and I've got a message for other men. You don't have to go through this alone. What does it mean to man up to cancer? It means reaching out instead of isolating. It means having the courage to accept help along the way. To me, manning up isn't just about being tough. It's about knowing that we're stronger and smarter as a pack than we are as lone wolves. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Man Up to Cancer podcast. This is Trevor. I am coming to you from Man Up headquarters in lovely Cape Elizabeth, Maine, a place that my guests, Carol Motika and her boyfriend, Mike Mancini, are coming to very soon. And I hope to get the chance to meet them appropriately distanced, <laughs> of course. Carol and Mike, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, hey, thanks for having us, Trevor. So, okay. You're going to remember, many of you are going to remember Carol and Mike from Stuck in the Man Cave Fame, episode three. Uh, it was it was in March. It was in quarantine. And I'm proud to say that I have changed my sweatpants at least multiple times since then. Carol, I'm pretty sure has washed her hair. Yes. Only once. Well, OK. I mean, once is better than nothing. Um, well done. Well done. Uh, so you, you guys are still living together. Well done on that. I'm going to do the similar introduction as I did in the man cave episode. Every disease needs a power couple and Carol and Mike are the power couple of colorectal cancer. Dun, dun, dun. Um, Lucky us. Lucky, right? Right. They are both uh, stage four colorectal cancer survivors slash thrivers slash warriors. They are amazing individuals and they are super advocates. We call them Titan advocates. They educate, they are involved in patient to patient education in out there in the media. They are, they're just moving mountains when it comes to letting people know about CRC prevention, treatment, everything. Um, so I'm psyched to have you two, uh, sort of on the, on the full podcast now that, you know, we've grown up, we've grown up here and we have a real show. <laughs> Um, so thanks for coming back on. So I want to go back to your meeting story. Carol and Mike met at Call on Congress, which is a, a CRC activist event. And I'd like you to tell a little bit about that story. Go ahead. Whoever wants to jump in there first. So it was 2019. It was, I think it was the first time for both of us going to fight CRC's Call on Congress. And Carol and I actually met. Uh, so the day we went to the Hill to talk to our legislators, uh, you know, we got there, everybody got there early for photos on the, the Capitol steps, et cetera. Um, and that's really kind of where I kind of met Carol. She kind of pulled me aside and wanted to do a strong arm selfie <laughs> photo. Um, so that's how it kind of started. And then I think later that night um, in the in the hotel restaurant and bar where everybody was hanging out, we spent a good majority of that time uh, just talking to each other, getting to know each other that evening. So that's kind of how the relationship or the friendship started. Right. I have a feeling Carol spotted you from afar and made a beeline because, you know, that that sounds like what she would do. So, Carol, what's your memory of that? What's your memory of that day? Uh, well, no, I mean, of course, there was that cute guy over there. <laughs> Hard to miss. Yeah. Um, no, you know, honestly, you know, we had the same mission in mind, of course. And um, we really just met as, you know, as sure. friends. certainly he was certainly. He was well, right. I guy. mean, there's that, there's that, of course. <laughs> I mean, he is charming, (laughs) 
but yeah, I mean, we just kind of, you know, we hit it off. We had great, you know, conversation and great rapport and started as friendship, just kind of, you know, getting to know each other. I think I called you at some point, what, later on and asked if you could make me a strong arm selfie, didn't I? Yeah, yeah, it's the same one. I think I remember getting tugged on the arm and then (laughs) her saying, you know, can we take a picture? And I was like, no, 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 no. Come on, you know, all the begging happened. I always do that. I still do that, don't I? Yeah, we, you know, we we're horsing around. Um, I think somebody was taking pictures of everybody doing strong arms. I think I just grabbed, the, it was like my opportunity to grab the cute guy, you know, because, you know, if, if you know, you want to meet somebody, that's what you got to do, right? Absolutely. And, and, and. <laughs> So two st- stage four warriors meeting at call on Congress. I mean, it's such a cliche. It's just, it happens so often. Uh, right. <laughs> All the time. <laughs> um, but no, but, but, but seriously about it, like, obviously this wasn't something you were planning for. You found a friend, you had a connection and then things developed and, and you have this relationship now that has really become something special. In what ways do you think that it helps to have some of those shared experiences, that that shared knowledge base going going into couplehood with that? Or maybe it's maybe you're worse off because of that. I don't know. You tell me. Uh, well, I was in a relationship when I first got diagnosed. Yep. Um, but the person I was with um, didn't last very long. And I think it was my second or third round of chemo. And, you know, she dumped sure, me. Sure. Um, and, you know, Carol was married and, you know, um, she's now divorced. So yep. I think both of us kind of went through being in a relationship with a partner who maybe, um, you know, didn't understand or couldn't give that support or be that play that caregiver role. So, you know, being with somebody who has the same disease, has gone through the similar experiences with dealing with chemo, dealing with doctors, dealing with insurance companies, knowing that you're just going to have days at times mm. where you're down, you know, you're feeling down, you're, whether it's physically, emotionally, or mentally, you're going to have those days. And to be able to have somebody there who understands that and knows that it's going to be short lived and you're going to bounce back from it, you know, not hold it against you. But there's a lot to be said for that because the emotional support um, uh, is, is tremendous when you're trying to fight, you know, really an incurable, an incurable illness. Yeah. Carol, go ahead on that. I see you're, you're, oh, so yeah, you're sweet. moved, you're moved by that. And I, it's pretty cool. Yeah, go oh, ahead. It's, it's hard. You know, the day by day stuff, the daily, I guess the daily grind stuff is, is tough, you know? And so he's so sweet. You know, we, we do, we're, we're normal people. Right. I think that's important to remember that, you know, besides cancer, we're, you know, we're going through this relationship too. So it's not cancer 24 right. seven, you know, we're actually, experiencing life together and and then covid but mm-hmm. um you know everything else on top of of the cancer but you know going back to when michael and i met you know we both were in these relationships that you know my relationship was was good but it was unhealthy before cancer and then cancer kind of saved it for a while and then it you know kind of combusted again after that yeah i mean re- yeah relationships change absolutely they do. They do. And, and I guess what I would say to, you know, my, a lot of people uh, say to me often, what are you thinking? You know, what, what are you, what are you thinking? You know, this is, you know, you're in a relationship, you have stage four cancer and now, now you're in a relationship with someone who has stage four cancer sure. too. And, you know, I've thought a lot about that and really what it comes down to is, is love wins and, and cancer doesn't. And Michael is so many more things than this stupid cancer. Um, he represents so many of the other things that I want Mm -hmm. 
and that I love to have in my life. And so I don't even think about cancer when I think about what Michael means to me. You know, I think of all those other things. And and I've <laughs> often told myself, even the bad things. <laughs> I often tell myself, you know, when it comes down to it and the word terminal, you know, we're all terminal. But if I have love for a year or two years, I would rather have that love for that many years than never to experience it at all. Yeah, I, I actually, when we first were talking about, do we want to do this? Yeah. Because, you know, I'm very matter of fact and, and a realist. I try to be a realist. I said to her, you know, we're both stage four. Right. The odds, you know, that the two of us are going to live a long time are not in our favor, right. you know, and this is probably not going to end well for at least one of us. Are we sure we want to do And it's this? okay to be honest about that. Like, I love that. I love that practicality. You can have practicality and hope at the same time. That's one of the things that we don't see too often in the cancer community. Like, people want you to pick one or the other. I'm hopeful that I'm going to live a long life, but I'm also practical that that might not be in the cards. And that I don't feel that I'm 100% in control of that. So I love hearing you say that because I've been feeling the same way. Like, if I have a couple of years to live, you know, I'm going to pack as much life and love in a shorter time frame than than some people who live to be 100 ever pack in. That's the goal, right? Right. The cliche quality of right. life and the quantity of life, you know, what's more important. Right. And I think that, you know, for me, I go on quality. I want to have, I don't care if it's a year, right. you know, I'm going to. I'm going to knock down that year and have it be amazing and, you know, life, life fully lit. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. I get goosebumps when you say it. I mean, because that, because that's what it is. And there's no, there's no shame in that. There's no, that's honest. And that's a great approach to life. Right. So I think having that practicality allows you to do that. Whereas some people I think who are just so in denial about the reality of the disease, don't open themselves up to that awakening. Like there's an awakening that you get when you say, you know what, (laughs) This life in this form might not be as long as I had hoped, <laughs> but damn, I, I'm going to live today, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I felt that way about Michael. And I, I feel that way about life, too. You know, I'm going to experience it. I'm going to leave nothing, you know, unturned. I'm going to leave leave it all out there. And I've always said that about my, you know, going into my, you know, going into the cancer card about cancer, too. I'm going to do everything I can. And in the end, if, you know, I'm not successful with beating the cancer, right. I've still beat it because I've, I've loved life and I've had every moment that I've wanted to have. And, and now I know that those moments are what I want, I want to have with Michael. And so, so cancer doesn't win. Yeah, no, never. <laughs> Absolutely. So let's just spend like maybe like a, a minute each updating people on where you're at with your health journeys, your cancer journeys. So Carol, you, let's go with you first. You are, you've had a liver transplant for God's sakes. I mean, you're a miracle, you're a walking miracle. Eh. I'm just part of the story of the miracle, which is pretty Love cool it. to be part of the story. Yep. But yeah, I had a living donor transplant after colorectal cancer. And when was that? That was in April of 2018. And I just recently had scans and everything is clear as of right now. So I'm doing well. I go back every four months to have scans. And that's kind of where I'm at as my status goes. And a little bit on what led up to that transplant in terms mm-hmm. of your your diagnosis and treatment. Well, basically I was stage four, six months to live. I wasn't a surgical candidate. I went through all of the chemos. I went, went right to the second line, actually, <laughs> full Fox Fury. <laughs> and actually had a, had a significant reduction of tumors. They went away, some of them, and I actually made it to surgery. All the chemo, though, took a toxic toll on my liver, ended up um, liver failure, 
and my doctors at Cleveland were doing some, you know, innovative stuff with liver transplant with a study from Norway. And they told me I was a perfect candidate because I was completely healthy. Ha ha ha. Um, besides, you know, <laughs> you know the C yeah, word. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. And I've seen some of the pictures so, of you, right? You were like the yellow woman at that point. Ooh, you know, my kids said I look like a Lego woman. <laughs> a Lego like, woman. Boys. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. And my Billy Rubens were stupid oh, yeah. bad. And yeah, I mean, it was just, my doctors would always say, you should not be alive. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, here I am, you know. So, so shout out yes. to, um, to, it was, is it Cleveland Clinic? Shout out to Dr. Uh, Federico Asejo, Dr. Koji Hashimoto, and, and Dr. Cristiano Quintini for, and uh, the plethora and the yep, of other um, team members. Dr. Uh, Krishnamurthy, um, she's my oncologist. Uh, Dr. Robert Pelly, they all um, saved my life. So can, can I, let me just intervene real quick. Yeah. I, I feel like you got the gauntlet of oncologist names right there. So the fact that you just like came up with those like on the spot. Uh, I'm pretty impressed right now. I'm just going to give you a, st- like if I could give you a standing over right here, I would. Um, okay. So like, do you have anything else to share? That's the Cliff's notes. Like when were you diagnosed? What month and year? You never forget that day. April 9th, 2016. Right. So April, 2016. And then here you are on the podcast where, where the jerk host is like, you get a minute to take the past uh, four, four and a half years and tell people what you've been through. Right. It's like, but, but, but I do that because we have this common language, we have this common experience. And to me, like I hear a lot of podcasts that spend so much time on that timeline, like, and the diagnosis, and then it just goes on for like, I know that we could talk for hours about like everything you've gone through. So if we sum it up real quick, then we can get to the fun stuff uh, that I have in store for you later. (laughs) And Trevor, I'm going to let you talk to Mike, I know, but I want to but you just brought up a very good point and because I, we've had this conversation yeah. before about like telling your story and th- th- there's more, like you can't just continue to tell your story. There's more to it. You know, you tell your story in an abridged version because people want to hear why you're exactly. telling your story. And the why is what you do to continue the mission to help save more people. Exactly. So yeah, we can't just stop it telling our story. There has to be more. Right. And there's so much more to so. you guys and your advocacy and everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, ex- exactly. Yeah. So thanks for understanding that. So, so yeah. Mike, I know f- from our last talk, we, you you were diagnosed in June 2017. Uh, you started treatment that next month. Uh, and then you had a period of, were you NED for a period? And, and recently you've started treatment again for, a, for recurrence. Yeah, this is my second, second recurrence. recurrence. So I, after my, um, after the first 12 rounds of full Fox, I had the colostomy reversal. And then a few months after that, there was a recurrence in my liver. So that I had that tumor removed off the liver, and then I did about a year or so of maintenance chemo, Zolota and Avastin still. Yep. But in January of this year, the cancer came back, uh, nodules in the, all over the lungs, uh, and a little bit more stuff popping up in the uh, peritoneal cavity. Um, so right now, I actually just had a scan yesterday. So in January, when it came back, I started another 12 rounds of Folfox, and I completed that. But the scan after that showed that the cancer was still progressing. So we switched to full fury after that. So I've done four rounds of full fury and scanned again. And it's showing that for the most part, it's holding the disease stable. Um, however, I do have some pleural eff- effusion, which is, you know, uh, fluid in the lungs, which is most likely cancerous. Mm. Um, and it's getting bigger. I've been having more difficulty breathing, especially when I exercise or exert myself. Um, so I'm likely going to be getting that drain in the near future. 
um, to try to, you know, make breathing and, and whatnot a little bit easier. I have a, an appointment next week with my specialist from Memorial Sloan Kettering in New York um, to just get his input on, you know, are we going to continue with full fury? Are we going to do something different? I'm assuming he's going to say, keep going with the full fury. Yeah. 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 Steady the course. <laughs> yeah. I mean, let's talk about fitness a little bit. You know, fitness is a big theme for both of you, activity, getting outside, workouts, that kind of stuff. You know, Mike, I'd love for you to talk a little bit to our audience about fitness and how it relates to, you know, the physical battle that we have as cancer patients and also the mental battle. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was, you know, into fitness before I got sick and then I lost everything that I had worked so hard to gain through my fitness transformation. I lost my you know, my cardio endurance, as well as all the muscle that I had built. So then when I started my comeback, you know, I did think 10 or 12 weeks of yoga first before I did anything else. I didn't touch a weight, you know, I wanted to stretch out the muscles, get a little bit limber. Yeah. Uh, and then I started with, you know, five, eight, 10 pound dumbbells on exercises where I used to use 65, 70 pound dumbbells. Wow. Uh, so it's very humbling. <laughs> It definitely takes a toll on you mentally, you know, because I had already gone through a fitness transformation. I knew that if I just stayed the course, continued being consistent with showing up every day, you know, except for when I'm doing my chemo treatments, um, that I'm going to, you know, start to gain it back. Now I'm not where I was before, but I've made significant gains in the gym with my cardio. You know, I'm, I'm not as endurance uh, related now because of what's going on in the yeah, lungs. It's a little harder to breathe. But other than the three days that I have, you know, the pump on, I have a home gym. I'm there every day. I have my routine. It's legs, then chest, then back, then shoulders, then every arms, day. you know, and I, and I, I have my routine. And, and uh, outside of the gym, Carol and I do a lot of hiking. You know, there's a lot of waterfalls in Connecticut, a lot of trails. And we go exploring and, you know, we, uh, we try to find more secluded spots where there aren't a lot of people because of COVID, yep. but we do a lot of that too. And, you know, again, it's uh, the endorphins that fire, you know, when you're working out, it makes you just feel better. You know, even though going while you're doing the workout, like the other day, after I was done, I told Carol, I thought I was going to throw up, but, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but just, you know, the, the, the way I personally feel and seeing the progress that I'm making it makes me feel like, you know, again, like what Carol said, cancer's not going to win here. Even if it does, I'm going to fight it as hard as I can. You're absolutely an inspiration. I hope it's okay that I share that you're a member of the the Howling Place group. Yeah. Yep. Mike's part of our Howling Place Facebook group, which is for men impacted by cancer. And I know that myself and so many others in there look up to him. One of the reasons I started the, you know, the whole man up to cancer thing is that there's a lack of role models out there for men going through it. And I feel yeah. like Mike is absolutely one of those role models in the way that he has taken on this, this foe. And, and so I want to thank you for doing that and being willing to put yourself out there. Like, and again, like Carol was saying, not just sharing your story, but in sharing life along the way. So the fitness, the struggle with the fitness, the struggle with all of it. You, and, and again, and also you have talked about being a professional, a worker, a productive employee and coming to a point in your life where that has been really crushed because you got this stupid cancer. There's a lot of men who identify with that issue of 
having that stripped from them as well, or that challenge, or having to redefine themselves in their profession because you work all your life at something and then all of a sudden something comes along and it's not that you don't want to do what you're still doing. And a lot of people do, you know, continue on with it, but it's a real challenge financially, logistically, physically, emotionally, when it comes to the professional piece of that. Could you speak to that a little bit? For me, when I got diagnosed, first I lost my health and fitness Then I lost the person that I was dating. And then right on the heels of that, you know, my family medical leave expired and I lost my job at the company I had been working for for over 20 years. Take that. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I was literally at the pinnacle of my career, highest earning income, best, you know, uh, highest job title tier that I had achieved yet. You know, and this is really, you know, when you're, I'm in my 40s. That's really where your earning potential and your, you know, your 10 years from 40 to 50 is really where you thrive, especially in the corporate world. So I lost it all. Uh, I was out of work for 17 months. And then I, you know, got back in with the company where I uh, had lost my job, but I had to take a big pay cut and I had to take a lesser role. But before I went out on leave, I was in a leadership role. When I came back, I wanted to be in a leadership role. So you know, to have stage four cancer and manage 13 people and also trying to help them build their career. Wow. You know, I take a lot of pride in that. I take a lot of, and, and, and I actually was just saying this to my boss uh, today. You know, I was single for a long time, before, even before Carol. My career defines right. me. You know, I've spent 20, now I'm coming up on 24 years there. So I take a lot of pride in all of the people that I've worked with, all the relationships that I've built, all the people whose careers I've helped advance. And then I'll I'll also say this, um, when I did come back to work, I immediately engaged with our corporate wellness group about building awareness around colorectal cancer. It's on the rise for people under 50. And because of the work that I've done since uh, I came back in December of 2018, I work for a, it's a fortune 150 company with over 20,000 employees. They are now starting in 2021, have added uh, 100. They're going to cover preventative colonoscopies at 100% starting at age 45. Awesome. So, you know, I mean, when you talk about early detection can save lives, I feel like I've left my legacy there now. That's going to save lives for, for years to come. That's outstanding. Like, <laughs> it's kind of mind blowing how, how you're able to just layer that in on, you know, if doing what you're doing with your disease and then your normal work and then layering that on top. I mean, that's the type of advocacy that that creates real change. And I hope, yeah, is there anything else that you would say to 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 men out there, maybe uh, people who are sort of earlier on and finding that they are having those professional challenges? Um, like maybe they're dealing with, yeah, loss of, uh, the loss of a job or having to redefine themselves professionally. Um, anything you want to tell those, those new guys. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, um, you know, the, the employer plays a big role in this, right. And how receptive they are, how much they're willing to work with you. Um, but definitely take advantage of what's available to you in terms of the ADA and getting job accommodations, right. You know, that's very important, especially for just for security and job protection. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I think, you know, I was willing to take the pay cut and take the lesser role because I wanted to be back in the workforce. Um, being away from people, uh, and that was really what I do day in and day out is talk with people. Mm. It made me, it made, it brought upon depression. Um, so getting my career back, even though it was a different, not the same exact role, um, you know, it helped me kind of get out of a lot of that depression that I was in 
interacting with people more. That's, I think, one of the keys to it. But also, you know, when I came back to work, I had to make a decision um, in terms of, do I want to go back to building relationships with people like I used to? Or do I just want to kind of focus on my job and not worry about everybody else? Because I know when I left last time, you feel you feel bad that you're leaving people behind. And then you also feel a void in your life as well. And I didn't want to feel that again or do that to people, but that's just not my personality. Um, So I had, I, I, my advice is to remain true to yourself. Mm. You know, don't change who you are. Um, If the company you're, you're with or trying to work with is not receptive to working with you, then that's not where you need to be. You know, find somewhere that they're willing to work with you. They understand. But, you know, at the same time, while I say that, I'm getting ready to go out on leave again um, to really just focus on, you know, the cancer right yeah. now and getting healthy and beating that, right. you know, and with that comes the the challenges of reduced pay and, uh, you know, over time, am I going to have to be on permanent disability and, you know, could I afford to live like that? And, you know, so it, it's, there's a lot that goes into those decisions. Yeah. When well, we need to have a whole series down the road about financial impacts and particularly for people yeah. in, so how old are you, Mike? Uh, I just turned 46 in August. Yeah, so, you know, I'm 43. You know, we have a lot of people in that in that group in the 30s, 40s, 50s, like people who are in their prime and people who are providing for others in their lives. And then all of a sudden that gets really challenged. So thanks for talking about that mm-hmm. a little bit. And, and I think we need to revisit that in a lot of ways down the road. Carol, I'd love for you to talk about your role as a caregiver specifically. You've done the role of the patient. You continue to in some ways, like that's never over. But now you're a caregiver mm-hmm. to a man with advanced cancer. Um, mm-hmm. For our audience, particularly when we think about the audience of men impacted by cancer and, the, and those who care for them, what are some of the things mm-hmm. going on in your life that you might share with them? A lot of the stuff that we're going through, I think, now is it kind of relates not only to cancer, but to COVID too. I think patients, I'm learning that there's a different side of patients than being a patient (laughs) than there is with being a a care partner. I tell you what, I, I mean, I always, I think I said this last time to you, I thought I knew everything about what to do with cancer and how to, you know, as a patient. And then I became a care partner and wow, you know, like all the other things come into play that you thought you knew it totally turns upside sure. down. And the crazy part is you see yourself, you know, in your person that you're caring for, you, you see what you went through. So it's like you're kind of in this, this, this weird transformation happens where you can, you just have these, you know, the memories come back as to where you were and you're like, okay, that's how I felt. And so I'm learning a different form of patience because I know that, like Mike said earlier, you know, he has bad days and, and you just have to let him go, right, you know, right. and, and just know that it's not who he is and, and who he represents. Right. But they're hard. But I always try to focus on the fun, the, the great days that we have and let those little things go as best I can um, because he's hurting and I love him. And that's part of the deal is that, you know, I remind him every day that I love him. It drives him crazy. I think a hundred times I tell him every day I love at him. At least, at least. <laughs> at least. And I, I hug him and kiss him because I want him to know that I appreciate him and love him. And no matter what we're going through, that, you know, that I'm here, um, even if he hates to hear it. Um, but it is difficult. The thing that I think is the most challenging as a patient now, a care provider, is that um, I've experienced the patient side. So I've understood how to make the decisions. And, um, I've understood my side of the health journey 
which every story is different. Every, you know, you treat differently. And mine was more of a, a sprint to get to, to live. Michael's is more of a marathon where we we tackle it as it comes. And, you know, and so a lot of times endurance is hard for me because I was so emphatic on getting right to the live part that I didn't get to experience the endurance part. And so I'm actually learning that with him. That's a great point. That's actually, honestly, that for me on, you know, from on my end, that's kind of the frustrating part with Carol is that because she's gone through this and she's so knowledgeable about all things colorectal cancer, when I do have a progression or something, she's immediately, well, we need to do this, 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 and this, and this. And I'm like, right. oh, hang yeah. on. Let's talk to the doctors yeah. first. Let's not pull every tool out of the toolkit unless we actually absolutely need to use right. it. Sure. Because this is the long haul here and I need to keep those things in the toolkit and only pull them out when I really need them. Right. It's yours is a different approach right now based on your, your stage and what's developed with your disease over time versus someone in a different position with the disease. It, absolutely. And I think that's a great point because yeah. we can think of CRC as like this, this one thing, right? But it's so individual, like, and everyone's going through their own journey. Everyone's going through their own, you know, decisions around what those milestones are and, and what you're going through is going to look completely different than someone who's like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm, you know, I'm going for cure with this surgery. And and then, you know, it's right now, it's more of, for you, I imagine, it's more of managing this and extending your life as long as possible. And, and, possible. and I think probably along the lines of what I always talk about with Dr. Tom Marsilia's quote about being currently incurable, we talk about terminal, we talk about incurable, but that extension, I mean, re- really what we're doing is playing for time. And then hopefully something's coming along in the pipeline that can give us even more time. And then enjoying that time we have. I mean, does that hit some of the notes yeah. that go on with you? Absolutely. Totally 100%. 100%. Yeah. And it's, it's funny too. It's, it's exactly our characters too. The way that we handle the effects and the treatment and looking forward. It, it's funny because I like to attack everything. I'm like, you know, I ask, I, I go find, I dig in. I'm, you know, I'm like the one that wants to do everything now. Um, and Michael <laughs> is very calm and organized, which I, which is, it's so good. That's why we go so well together Absolutely. because he keeps me balanced. And then I add a little bit of excitement to his balance, you know, but it's exactly, <laughs> <laughs> it's exactly our character. So, um, but you know, all in all, it's, it's been good. Um, we, I think we've learned, we were learning, don't you think, honey, that yeah. we're, we're learning through time, you know how to balance it. And Michael always reminds me, stop talking about cancer, stop talking about cancer, but it, cause it surrounds us. It's true. It, right. it, it, it goes around, but we do. I mean, I'm, I think I, we're both doing better to consciously not talk about it. And, you know, yeah. I mean, that so that's really hard and really tricky, especially for people who are educators and advocates. Like where, where do you draw yeah. those boundaries? How do you find those spaces where it's not dominating everything? Um, so that's hard. Definitely. For me, it was taking a little break. I took a, a social media break on Facebook. I haven't been um, posting for well, about two weeks and then take a little bit more of a break, um, yes. but just kind of separating myself and, and being more conscious of things that are happening in the moment. And so, yeah. Absolutely. Simple social things to simple social psychomatical psychomatical. Cut that out. No, we're not. We make up words here all the time. I love it. 
Um, I, ha- I, ha- I no, I totally hear you. I think that's great. And I'm going to take a break soon as well. I'm going to take a social media break um, coming up soon, hopefully within the next month or so. So I do have one more question um, that's a little bit, you know, we've been a little more serious this time because, you know, I think that times kind of call for that right now. We have had some fun. We're going to end with a lot of fun because I am going to put you both back on the man up to cancer oh, hot seat, no. which I think we've sort of temporarily renamed the gauntlet of random questions because we, we've agreed that the hot seat when it comes to colorectal cancer might. That's super funny though. <laughs> yeah, actually it might work perfectly. Okay. So I am going to put you on the hot seat again and give Carol redemption. But before I do that, one more sort of serious oh, no. question for the newly diagnosed. You know, we are starting to hear from listeners on this show who are a month in or a couple weeks in after diagnosis. Yeah. Are there just a couple things or one thing from from each of you that you would share that you wish you knew when you were at that point? Because we're kind of grizzled veterans at this point. I guess one thing that comes to mind for me right away is that I wish I knew immediately that that all doctors, no matter what your who your oncologist is, that oncologist is going to have different information about the disease. There's not like a set of information that all oncologists get about CRC. Like your local oncologist, your community oncologist isn't going to have the same info as someone at a academic center. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. In fact, there's, Mm -hmm. there's positives to both of those perspectives. Mm -hmm. But I think what I thought at the beginning was that one person would tell me one thing and that would be the same thing I would hear everywhere else. Yeah. I think for me, I wish I had known there were so many other people under the age of 50, Mm. who were not only living with this, but thriving. Um, Because I really felt like I was out there on an island. This is an old man's disease. I can't relate to anybody. The ostomy group meets at one o'clock on Thursdays. Like there's going to be nobody my age in that group. Absolutely. Um, So I think I I wish I knew that there there was a, a large population of people under 50 living and thriving with the disease, as well as how many resources are out there and available. Like you know, fight CRC, like the CCA, like the colon club, yeah. you know, man up to now man up to cancer. Right. So there's so many resources out there that I just was completely H- clueless H- about. I love it. Since he put on the, you know, find your tribe hat, I'm going to put on my advocacy hat. And I would really tell that person that no question, no opinion is dumb. Ask the questions, Mm. advocate for yourself. You're your biggest advocate. You're the one that cares the most. Everyone's going to be around you and surround you, but you're the one that needs to take the bull by the horn essentially. And, um, it, don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't be afraid to get the opinions because it's okay. And then I would follow that up with making sure that you understand and educate yourself on what genetics means to cancer. There are hereditary cancers and there are somatic cancers. And I think it's important for every person that has been diagnosed with cancer to see a genetic specialist to find out what their cancer looks like, because that's going to determine the best path for them. And when I say genetics, I don't mean tumor genetics. I mean both. I mean, every cancer is genetic. Some are hereditary and some are not. And so we need to know all the different levels of genetics and how it plays into treatment. Fantastic. I love it. I mean, that those are just great suggestions. Everyone should be doing that. Yes, for sure. All right. I'm scared of this it, hot it seat. It is time. <laughs> it is time for the hot seat. I have a whole new set of questions for you, except for one oh, that will no. be very familiar. 
<sighs> okay, this is the we're gonna do the man up to cancer. We're gonna call it the hot seat, old school tonight. Uh, this is where we have random questions not related to cancer, not related to COVID. Although you can reference those at any time, you have that freedom. <sighs> Here we go. Oh dear. If you had to wear one Halloween costume every day for the rest of your life, what would you be? Well, my favorite <laughs> Halloween costume was a kid. Well, no, you know what? I would be Indiana Jones. Indy. All right. Carol? I would be Princess Leia. <laughs> I accept your answers. <laughs> Number two. Um, so movies, yeah, movies are kind of magic. So you remember some of the movies you saw like in the theater when you were whatever, kids or young adults oh, or, or no. early on. It, no, this is an easy one. If you could see one movie again for the first time, what would it be? Karate Kid. Nice. He's the best. There's yes, no sir. mercy in this dojo. He is the best. Like I can't top yeah. that one. Well, I'll give you time to think because mine would be ET because oh, I think I was, I was like a kid. E. Yeah, ET's a great me. one. Oh come on. Um, I say the Goonies. I love the Goonies when I was a kid. That was a good one too. Or Stand by Me. I mean, that's a good one too. Andy, you Goonie. I mean, come on. <laughs> that's Goonies never die. No, Goonies, uh, that's, Goonies never say Go- that. The Goonies and Karate Kid. Truth. Like that is right in my zone. I am feeling yeah. those. <laughs> Um, we should probably tell you the truth. We still watch those movies. Oh, yeah, for sure. Well, hopefully you've, you've seen Cobra Kai. The, I, the I've been watching. I started it and big fan. It's fantastic. Yes. Uh, okay, you guys got to get your fists ready for this. We're going to do rock, paper, scissors one time. Ready? Oh, no. Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Paper covers rock. And Mike win. wins. Carol loses. <laughs> he wins everything. It's not fair. Okay, are you guys familiar with the game Clue? Yes. Okay. I am. I have, I've narrowed the suspect list to three characters, Colonel Mustard, Miss Scarlet, or Mrs. Peacock. Who actually committed the crime? Colonel Mustard. Yes. Okay. I'm going with you there. Carol? Mrs. Peacock. The answer, I'm going to open the card. I'm opening the card. I'm revealing the clue. Oh, no. And it's Mrs. Peacock. Yes! Mrs. Peacock in the library in the library with a candlestick. With the candlestick. Yep. Uh, I love candlesticks. All right. Um worst That's a good movie. That was a good movie too, by the way. Oh, oh I didn't see that. I gotta watch that. Um yeah. worst style choice you ever made. Like this oh. could be hair, this could be clothing. I mean oh, some yeah. yeah. When I when I had here, <laughs> it was very curly, like thick wavy curly. And uh, I think it was in the, oh God, like probably the late 80s. I was into like skateboarding and anthrax and Slayer. And I tried to glow <laughs> like the mullet in the back. And it was like just this big puffy, like, no, you oh, it was awful. Yes. It looked, yeah, it looked terrible. Oh my God. Why haven't I seen yeah. this? Picture? I know. We need to oh get that in God. the Howling Place. You've got to post <laughs> totally. that. Totally. I'm, I'm finding oh, it. Oh, that would be amazing. But that's funny. Mine's hair too. Because okay. I would say the 80s hair, you know, like Aquanet hair when you the- like, <laughs> Sprayed it out and then you took the blow dryer to it until you could, like, you had wings on the sides of your head. <laughs> like, complete big wings. I did. So, it. I did when you it. get I... back from your social media break or if you're on now, we're going to need you guys to dig up a couple of those so that we can share them. Okay. So, that would be fantastic. I will recreate it. Even. Okay. All right. Last question. I got to set the stage for this oh. because you know it's coming. Oh. On the, when we had our, um, <laughs> In the man cave, stuck in the man cave episode. The final question is, 
what weapon is your go-to weapon during the zombie apocalypse? Mike, now, okay, Mike answered with a perfectly, <laughs> perfectly appropriate flamethrower, which is totally badass and awesome. Carol, on the other hand, she answered bug spray. Now, <laughs> now she maybe Carol knows something about zombies that the rest of us don't know. That like bug spray is like the magic, you know, it's the anthrax to to zombies. But it, it is okay. Well, so maybe you're sticking with it. But I want to I want to ask Carol first, right here, right now. Zombie apocalypse is upon us. You are being overrun. What's your go to weapon? Is it okay to say lobsters? <laughs> You've seen the video, the lobster video. Just when I thought. No, I, oh, go ahead. I you're, would, ki- you're still going. I would say a machete. Machete. Okay. Can we combine that to have it be lobsters with machetes? <laughs> um, no, the, the lobster answer on this is actually because I'm from Maine and that really hits home with me. Like, I love that. And there's something just weird about it that makes me really happy. Um I am terrified of lobsters, so it seems reasonable. I think it seems reasonable. Oh, my gosh. I remember that video of you online with the lobster (laughs) delivery. That's right. Okay. So I'm going to say this. I'm going to steal the line from Dumb and Dumber and say, just when you couldn't get any more dumb, you go and say something (laughs) like that and totally redeem yourself. (laughs) Totally redeem yourself. Carol Motiga has gotten full redemption from bug spray, although I love that too. Bug spray and lobsters are by far the best two answers for that question. I'm still going to let, is Mike going to stick with uh, flamethrower or have you come up with a new weapon? No, I think I would, I'd go with the uh, the Ghostbusters proton backpack with the gun. Wow. It's like more than one thing. I think the How is that? we're gonna check. One we're checking with the judges. Is the Ghostbusters uh, backpack with the proton? We- ding, ding, ding! We accept that, and that is an absolutely valid answer and fantastic. So okay. Carol and Mike have defeated the zombies. They have made it through the hot seat, and they have also contributed to an awesome conversation about CRC, cancer in general, and all that good stuff. You guys can't thank you enough big fans of yours and i'm so glad that you take the time to spend it with your friend in maine and i'm looking forward to a, a visit up here so you got to hit me up when you when you get up here see you in a couple weeks or yeah, a few see weeks. In a couple weeks thanks for having us for sure awesome guys love you all right take care bye-bye thanks for listening to the man up to cancer podcast if you want to get behind our mission you can connect with us subscribe to our email list and check out our other content at manuptocancer.com And if you know a man struggling with the isolation that cancer can bring, let him know about us. The Wolfpack Doors are always open.